0: All right, well, if you would, turn again to Romans chapter 1, and I'd like to complete the uh, message I began last week. For some of you, this might be new in terms of talking about things like critical theory or critical race theory, and I apologize if it seems overwhelming and new. Um, unfortunately, we can't get into these things as deeply as we might like to. But I would encourage you um, to try to glean what you can and maybe do some more research on your own because uh, the more and more, the the more I think about it and look into it, the more I see how much what we're talking about here is uh, influencing all kinds of things in our society. And if we are going to love people and respond rightly to what's going on in our country, we really need to understand, at least in terms of the basics, What this other gospel is, you might call it, that we've been talking about. So if you look at Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, we uh, started off there last week, and it says, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith." As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I don't know how many of you watched the uh, presidential debate this week, but it was truly painful. <laughs> and one of the most painful things about it is um, you're trying to figure out what's true and what's not. W- what is the, the true way to talk and think about various issues and, and what are lies? And why is that so important? It's so important because the truth sets you free. Lies enslave you. This verse in verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. So the truth of the gospel sets free. It's the power of God to set us free from sin. And therefore, the truth of the gospel is, What's most important? The truth of the word of God is what's most important because it sets us free from sin and satisfies us in God. But the opposite is also true. Lies are very powerful. And that's why in politics, in our day and time, lies are thrown out very quickly and very easily, even if they're debunked a few days later. Why? Because they have a life of their own and they're powerful to shape people's perspectives even after people have begun to try to say, no, 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 that, that wasn't true. Lies are very, very powerful. And the reality is the reason why we sin is because we believe a lie. That's why we actually give ourselves to sin, because we believe the lies of sin, the lies of, lies of Satan. And so the gospel, the truth of the gospel is so very, very important. Well, like I said last week, a gospel of sorts uh, has a history. It has a commentary on what has happened and what is happening. It has an interpretation of history a narrative about that, and it also has a call to response. And so last week we began talking a little bit about one major aspect of the philosophies influencing us as a people in this country, which is critical theory. It, te- it says something about where we've been and where we are, it says something about why things are happening, and it has a call of sorts to response, and I want to continue to contrast uh, the two today. Last week I said that we were going to try and answer five questions. I covered two of those last week. Why is there something and not nothing? What is wrong with the world? And with regard to the answer to the question, why is there something and not nothing, critical race theory and a lot of other worldly philosophies would say There's something and not nothing because we are cosmic accidents. There's no God. There's no creation. And therefore, we have to make the best of it while we have this temporary life. There is no afterlife. There's nothing to come. But we need to make the best of this life. And critical race theory would say we have to do that by identifying the various groups of society. And understanding the conflict between those groups. And understanding that our identity is found in our group. Now, how does that compare to what the Bible says? The Bible says there is a God, and there is a God who created us, and that he loves. He's a God who is love, and he created us with loving purposes in mind. And he created us in his image. And this God will hold us accountable one day. For our lives. And so, CT, critical theory, will say there's no accountability to God. You're just simply accountable to your group. And that's why we have cancel culture, because groups are canceling other people and other groups and acting like the only people that you have to be accountable to is the group that you're supposedly a part of. And so, we talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, Secondly, we talked about the question, what's wrong with the world? And critical theory would say the problem with the world is that the world has oppressors. Oppressors and oppressed. And so the problem with the world or the sin in the world is oppression. And therefore, what we need is to be free from oppression. Now, oppression isn't necessarily me going to someone and beating them up or putting them in jail, or doing something to them physically. Oppression is simply imposing my values and norms and expectations on them, saying you ought to live this way. The implication of that is you've got different kinds of oppressor groups. White people oppress other uh, races, according to critical theory. Males oppress women. Cisgender people or people who identify with their birth sex or biological sex oppress transgender people and other people who identify differently. And Christians oppress other people. Why is that? Are we throwing people in jail? Are we trying to keep people from having uh, freedom of religion? No. We oppress them because... We have expectations and norms and values that we think they ought to also have. That's why there's a pushback against Christians. It's because it's the oppression of you saying that God says that's wrong. It's the oppression of you saying God says this is the way you ought to live. That is seen as oppression. And therefore, that is the real sin. And if you think about it, that's why we hear what we hear from the culture. Well, I want to go on to the next three just briefly and highlight some other things that hopefully will be helpful for you to understand. Maybe some of the things that you're hearing and what's going on in our society. Um, The third thing is the whole issue of how do we fix it? Obviously, as Christians, we would say the problem is sin that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, They say that it's oppression and that there are only certain people that are in the oppressor group. And that those oppressor groups need to be appropriately dealt with. And so the question is... What is the Christian answer to how do I fix it, and what is the critical theory answer to how do I fix it? If you would turn to Romans 5, we've been looking at just selected verses out of Romans. Paul basically explains the gospel that he's talking about in Romans 1.16 throughout the book. I'll just touch on a few verses. Uh, in Romans 5, verse 6, under this heading, how do we fix the problem? Uh, It says in verse 6 of Romans 5, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So Paul is highlighting here the fix that God has given for the world. It's in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life we could never live, and then he died in the place of not good people, but ungodly people didn't die in the place of the oppressed and not in the place of the oppressors, but he died for everybody who would fit into the category of sinners and the ungodly. That's the who he died for. And so the gospel declares that the only way for this world to be fixed, and the world will be fixed one day. That's what the new heavens and the new earth are all about. But the only way that that could happen was if God did something. Not we do something, but God had to do something, and he sent his son to be a substitute for us. But CT says something different. They would say, we fix ourselves. There is no God to save us from their perspective, and therefore we have to fix ourselves. We have to save ourselves. And if the problem is oppressor groups who are oppressing people with wrong values and norms and expectations, and imposing those norms and expectations and values on other people, then change, salvation comes by changing the narrative, changing the story so that you can change the norms and values in society. That's exactly what... Uh, liberation is all about. It's about liberating people from those norms and values and expectations that people have of them, either based on Christianity or based on something else. That's why people want to be liberated. And like I was talking with Linda earlier, there's an interesting uh, sort of contradiction, I think, in my mind. On the one hand, uh, critical theory is arguing for The individual's complete freedom to do and be whatever they want to do and be. And yet at the same time, there's a radical dependence on the state to bring about the equality that's required. So in one sense, they want this radical individuality to make their own decisions, live their life the way they want to live it, be whatever they think they are or want to be, and yet they're also very dependent on the state, on the government, to bring about the equality um, that they think needs to take place. And so, as a result, one of the, there's so much to say about this, but let me just focus on one of the things. One of the concepts that they talk about is lived experience. Lived experience is placed above objective truth. And what that means is, uh, for instance, if a man wants to talk about abortion, there are those who would say, no uterus no opinion meaning if you're not a woman you can't talk about abortion which means you have not you don't have the lived experience of being a woman therefore even if what you think what you are saying about abortion is true it can't be true because you've never lived that you've never experienced that so only women can talk about the issue of abortion. Only um, Asian people or black people or, or Spanish, you know, Spanish people or whoever, whatever race you might think of, can talk about what it means or what it's like to be in their shoes. And there's, there's no objective truth that regardless of what race you are or what gender you are that everyone can tap into because only the oppressed group has the insight to tell the oppressor group what's true. That's very, very complex in various ways, but it's very interesting and very important for us as Christians. Like I said, they they are anti-Christian because we say, yes, there is a right way to live. And one important point about this is that if you say this is the truth, this is, this is the objective reality, if there's a discussion about how much... Um, Political, excuse me, how much um, do we actually see of white police officers shooting black, unarmed black men? How much does that really happen? They would say it doesn't really matter what the facts are. You just need to hear what my lived experience is. My lived experience is the truth. It's not the facts about how many are shot or aren't shot on a yearly basis because They would say, the question isn't, is that statement true or is that really a fact? They would say, what's motivating you to say that? The question isn't, is it true or objectively true? It's, why are you saying that? Are you saying that just to preserve your dominance over me? Are you saying that to pursue your own selfish ends? It's basically a, a judgment of motives, not an evaluation of facts. And so as a result, uh, you've got people who are pursuing the salvation of our nation based on lived experience, not based on objective facts. And that's why we're having the conflict that we're having. And ultimately, it undermines any appeal to the Bible. If you say, this is what the Bible says, they would say, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I've experienced. I know what I believe to be true, my lived experience. And so if you get into discussions with people, don't be surprised if they don't value your appeal to research or they don't value your appeal to objective truth in Scripture. For them, that is not the basis for what is uh, true. And so it makes it incredibly hard to talk about these things. And that's why, as my wife would say, one of her favorite words is insidious. It is a truly an insidious deception because it eliminates discussion. It eliminates discussion about objective truth or objective facts. Does, that's not really part of the ball game anymore. That doesn't mean the truth of the gospel can't still win out. It doesn't mean God still can't save people, can't grant uh, revival and awakening in our country. God can still do it through the power of the gospel. But we just need to understand that it is incredibly hard to have these conversations based on how they're looking at things. And so the whole issue of salvation is very much a matter of the state, the government, and individual freedom. In some kind of combination of sorts, which i 'm not even sure they know how that 's supposed to work, um, but fourthly, the question is what what comes next? What is the ultimate goal and obviously, uh, as Christians, if you look at Romans chapter eight, as Christians, our ultimate hope and goal is not in this life but it 's in the life to come. In Romans 8, verses 18 through 21, is that me? What am I doing? Is this too close to me? Is that better? Thank you, thank you. All right, verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay, there's much more we could read there, but uh, let me just highlight the fact that Paul says this present time and the sufferings of it are not worthy of comparison to the glory that is to come and the life to come we're not going to be looking back and saying wow well God God put me through a lot more than what he gave me in the end I think I got the short end of the stick and that's not the way it's going to be at all we're going to look back on our life and we're going to see how God worked everything together for good and we're going to see that the glory that is to come is a billion times infinitely greater than whatever we had to go through here and yet um, the goal of critical theory is not in the life to come they don't believe in a life to come generally i mean there may be some but i'm talking about in terms of a philosophy it's not about the next life it's about uh here and now it's about bringing heaven on earth now Because there is no God to rescue us. And there is no future life to look forward to, uh, at least in the philosophy itself. But what is to be done is that we need equality. We need to have heaven on earth by making everyone equal. And not equal before the law, which is what our Constitution is based on, but equal in terms of wealth and status in every way possible. Completely equal. And for some it also means um, and I'm not sure if this is how far this goes, but for some it's not necessarily equal for all. It's equal for all oppressed groups and some would argue for oppression of the oppressor groups. A total reversal. That's why I have reversal and equality. For some no, they want the oppressor group to become the oppressed group and the oppressed groups to be equal and to enjoy all those things. Um, someone uh, said, this is actually an evangelical pastor who's uh, thinking along these lines. He said, talking about nuclear weapons, as white men move from an entitled majority and our country is increasingly led by women and people of color... A future without nuclear weapons feels within reach. A world where the weapons of colonialism and subjugation are confined to to museums seems plausible. So you hear what he's saying? He's saying that um, women and um, people of color are in the oppressed category, which means men have been in charge and white people have been in charge. And that's why we've been on the brink of nuclear war for so long. But if we could reverse things or somehow put uh, people of color in charge and women in charge, um, then we'd be much more likely to have a world filled with peace. We would have the utopia on earth that we want. You have to understand this is a gospel They're preaching the good news of heaven on earth through these things. That's why people feel so strongly about it. And all these things feed into the great, great um, angst that people feel over all of these things. Um, Obviously, we see it differently. We believe that um, heaven is going to be here on earth but not until after Jesus returns. You Read Revelation 21 and 22. Heaven and earth do meet. Heaven does come down, and we do have heaven on earth. It's the new heaven and the new earth, but it's not apart from God. It's in the presence of God. CT says we can have heaven on earth apart from God, and we can do it if we just apply, you know, these right principles. The gospel says, no, there's never going to be heaven on earth until jesus returns and it's only through jesus that we will ever know real peace and the interesting thing about it is the bible says judgment precedes consummation which is what i have there judgment and consummation that jesus is going to return and he's going to judge every person and then the final consummation of the kingdom will come the kingdom will come to earth, heaven on earth will take place, but judgment will precede it. What's going on in our country is the same kind of thing. Judgment precedes consummation. They are working toward a utopia, a heaven on earth. But judgment has to come first. What kind of judgment? Is it it the judgment of sinners? No, it's the judgment of the oppressors. The oppressors must be judged oppression must be judged those things must be dealt with so that heaven on earth can take place that's the reality of what uh, many people are are working toward in our country let me just get to the last point with the last few minutes that we have here which is the question what do we need to do if you look at romans 10 verse 9 Obviously, the gospel says what we need to do, the most important thing we can do, is to be reconciled to God. And how are we reconciled to God? We turn from our sin, we trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. It, it's put this way in Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Saved. So the gospel declares that we can be reconciled to God, we can be um, a part of the new heaven and new earth if we're willing to confess our sin and want to be free from our sin. So we turn to God for mercy, and we see that God has provided an answer in Jesus for our sin, who died as a substitute for us, and we receive him, we embrace him for all that he is, Lord and Savior And we are reconciled to God. And then we seek to live our lives in obedience to Christ, depending on the Holy Spirit to help us do that. That is the response to the gospel that we're called um, to pursue. With regard to CT or critical race theory or critical theory, it's more along the lines of wokeness and activism. Wokeness means I realize the the reality of the different groups that people are divided in and I c- become awake to the oppression that are that is taking place between these different groups and I become an activist I become work someone who sees it as their moral duty to free groups from oppression now the way that applies is there there's This group called Antifa. Some people would say it's an idea. Some people say it's a real group. But it's a real group. Um, At least there's one guy I know that's a real guy who, as a member of Antifa, uh, during a protest, uh, there was a Trump supporter who was saying some things he didn't like. He walked over with a bike lock and hit him on the head. Now, the interesting thing about that is the gentleman who took the bike lock member of Antifa, hit this Trump supporter on the head, uh, had taught ethics at a local university. Now, most people would say taking a bike lock and hitting somebody as hard as you can on the head is not the right thing to do, but the interesting thing about it is when you embrace critical theory, the idea is someone has said if you listen to what they talk about, they rarely talk about moral duties like honesty kindness patience chastity marital fidelity or self-control because it it's all about dismantling unjust structures so it doesn't matter how you do it you just need to do it you just need to be an activist trying to relieve groups and free groups from oppression it doesn't matter if you have to do it dishonestly it doesn't have to it doesn't matter if you don't do it in a kind way. Those values aren't at the top of the list. The top of the list is free people from oppression. And if you have to loot to do it, you loot to do it, whatever it takes. And, and that's the perspective. That's how they would say, I am morally bound to set people free and to use whatever means I have to use. And if you've ever wondered why things are the way they are in our political system, that says a lot about it right there. Do whatever you have to do to gain what you believe is the utopia that you're longing for. And so the good news is that though though that is the reality of where we are, the gospel still triumphs. God still triumphs. God is still going to keep his promises. God is still going to fulfill his purposes. No one can thwart the hand of God, not even the most devoted uh, social justice warrior. It doesn't matter what they do in a sense. It does matter in the sense that We should be concerned about righteousness in our country. We should be concerned about the honor of God in our country. We should be concerned about people um, actually experiencing the good rather than evil in our country. The Bible says, do good to all men. So, on the one hand, we don't have to be afraid that this is going on. We need to understand it. We need to understand how to talk with people about it. But we don't have to be afraid and yet we need to be committed ourselves to righteousness we need to be committed ourselves to pursuing what is good for all people. we should love our country love the people in our country we're not talking about loving the dirt we stand on we're talking about loving people in our country and therefore the gospel is crucial because you've got all kinds of testimonies of people like c s Lewis that were atheists and in a sense they um, he would say i Uh, was drug into the kingdom, kicking and screaming. Well, that might be the case more and more in our day and time, but God is able to change people's hearts and change society. So we should be diligent to pray for our country. We should be diligent to lovingly, patiently, but clearly share the truth with those who have embraced lies And we should seek to point people to Christ as the only way you're ever going to experience a true utopia, the only way you're going to experience true uh, new heavens and new earth. Ultimately, this philosophy is not going to satisfy because it's not going to bring heaven on earth. And people are eventually going to get tired of having to work their way into some kind of social, cultural acceptance. They're going to get tired of being under a works-oriented system, and that's what it is. If you want to be a part of this system, if you want to be accepted, you have to live up to this standard. The gospel is, going back to Romans 1, but the righteous by faith shall live. We're, We're righteous before God simply based on what Christ has done for us alone. And that is a very, very freeing thing. I don't know how you come to church on Sundays, but many times I come to church on Sunday and I have to preach and I'm very aware of my sinfulness. I'm very aware of how I failed during the week to love like I should have loved. The only way I can get up here is if I believe the gospel, that we're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. And it's what gives me joy in preaching and what gives me joy in the future is knowing that there is a utopia that's to come, but it's only in and through Jesus. But right now we're called to fight and we're called to love. We're not called to go around hitting people on the heads with bike locks. We're called to love them even if it means laying down our lives for them. And God will be glorified as we do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can find encouragement from your word and, and find some perspective from your word on what's going on in our country. There's so much more that we could have touched on and talked about. But I pray that somehow you would just take the, the overview that we've tried to do the last couple of weeks and help us to see where people are coming from. Help us to see maybe ways in which we can talk to them and yet understand why they might see it totally different than we do. But I pray that regardless, we would love people that we would be filled with compassion and mercy that we would seek to speak the truth in love and not be afraid to speak the truth and that we would pursue righteousness that we would pursue what is truly good for all the people in our country and that would truly preserve our freedom of religion and speech and the things that are truly good for all of us in this land and ultimately Uh, for the glory of your name, and for the progress of the gospel. So, Father, please encourage our hearts. May we rest in all that you've done for us and all that you've promised us, and may we live uh, radically loving lives in the midst of a very, very uh, difficult situation. Uh, We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.